for us to recognize, to realize that we must enter in. This is where we need to go. It says the, the way is narrow, and so we strive. We pursue the kingdom, and we are drawn by the, by the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. And as you feel that tugging, as you feel the Spirit of God doing His work through the truth of His Word, you don't just kick back and say, well, God will do it. You pursue that. And maybe that's, that's true for you this morning. Maybe it was true for you this week at camp. Maybe it's been true sometime in your life where you felt the work of the Spirit of God in your heart as you, as you began to understand the Word. You are not passive in that. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday, weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Please open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, and if you will stand, I will be reading verses 12 through 17. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. If you'll stand, we can read those verses together. You can follow along with me. Beginning in verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Please be seated. I had the privilege this week of touring our capital. And if you look around, those who have blue shirts on are those that joined us. Probably there's a few that couldn't wash their shirts, so they may too have, have been there. And so feel free to ask them what how the Lord worked in their lives and the things that they saw and how He changed them. That would be, uh, I think, excellent for them and good for you as well. But as we tour the, the nation's capital, we were reminded that this is perhaps the most powerful and influential kingdom in the entire world, if not the most, certainly one of the most, and perhaps one of the most powerful kingdoms that has ever been. That is the United States of America. We walked through the capital. We saw some of the workings of America's intricate political machinery. We sat under the statues of America's great men. We were directed through the halls of the mighty Pentagon, the biggest military building in the world. We even peered into the room where America's first and perhaps greatest president, George Washington, took his last breath. But in all of this grandeur and history, one name, one person was conspicuously missing, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the name of God was mentioned. Now, to be sure, that was mostly by dead men in their quotes and their legacy. But the true King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, was certainly not in any way given his due. We went to the Library of Congress, some did, and all of the books and all of the learning and all of the 
really the, the repository of, of what man has learned over the centuries, bound up in those books. And out in the front, kind of in the lobby, really, I guess a little bit off to the side, there's a Gutenberg Bible, one of the first printings of that book, very rare and in terms of books. But what is amazing is that all of the wisdom of the world does not compare to the wisdom found in that one book. And that one book is about one person, Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we spend our time viewing those things, and they're wonderful to see. I love George Washington. We got to go to Mount Vernon. That was one of, he's one of my heroes on an earthly plane. I think he just did some incredible things. And those things are neat to see. But as we walked through and saw those things, as we sat at the feet of the Lincoln Memorial and presented the truth of the gospel there, our theme was from vanity to fear. We did an overview of the book of Ecclesiastes, all 12 chapters. And we taught throughout the week that we are to reject vanity. That is the vanity of possessions and power and position and labor and wisdom, all of those things that the world says we should grab a hold of. We're to reject that vanity because ultimately it's meaningless. If we endure persecution, if we pursue pleasure, if we, if we labor vigilantly, and yet that only is, has, has effect on this mortal plane, only has effect for this present world, then ultimately it's meaningless. And then we talked about the fact that we have to embrace eternity. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the writer Solomon says, the Lord has placed eternity in their hearts. Man comes into the world in vanity. He comes into the world worthless and meaningless. There's nothing that he can accomplish. And yet God has placed within him the knowledge of himself. So God himself has made sure that man can never be comfortable with the things that this world provides. He has placed eternity in his heart. And we talked about embracing that eternity. That is understanding the very purpose for which we were created so that we will not spend our lives in vanity. And the third day, we talked about rejecting or resisting our depravity. So because we, although we have eternity in our hearts, we are depraved. We come into this world tainted with sin. And we have to recognize that fact before we can ever turn from that. Before we will ever be able to reject vanity, we have to understand our depravity, that we are tainted, and that we need to turn to God in and accept and receive His righteousness on our behalf. As we talked about that rejection of vanity, the embracing of eternity, fighting our depravity, then we talked about guarding our worship. The fact that when we come to worship God, we must not come, says Ecclesiastes 5, to offer the sacrifice of fools. That is, those who believe in their hearts that there is no God, or who say in their hearts there is no God. Although they might say with their lips they believe in a God, if their hearts are not committed to that God, the one that they proclaim, then they come near to worship in futility. They come and they, they offer a commitment that is insincere. And we as believers are to come in the sincerity of our commitment. That is, we've committed to do what? To deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow after Christ. So we talked about guarding our worship. And then the last night, we talked about pursuing fear. Those verses were already read during our prayer time. There's only one thing that applies to every person, and that is fear God and keep his commandments. Why? Because every man is accountable to that holy God and ultimately accountable to the King of kings and Lord of lords who came to save men, to release them from their depravity, to allow them to embrace eternity, to provide them the opportunity to worship, to give them the strength and power to reject vanity, and the one before whom we bend our knee in humble fear. So what we'll see this morning, fitting beautifully in with our, our message this morning, really only verse 17, the last sentence, the last phrase Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What we will see is that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is our great Savior to whom we have the privilege of bending our knee in humble worship and total acceptance of His atoning sacrifice on our behalf. Again, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
our great Savior, to whom we have the privilege of bending the knee in humble worship and total acceptance of His atoning sacrifice on our behalf. Now, where we stand in the text is the beginning of the preaching and healing and powerful ministry of Christ. He's already been ministering. He entered into his ministry through baptism. He went away into the wilderness to be tested. He passed the test. He did not fail in temptation. The book of John tells us he then spent about a year right, ministering in various places, but the official beginning of his ministry is marked by Matthew and Mark and Luke as when he enters back into Galilee of the Gentiles. In verse 12, Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody. He withdrew into Galilee. And so he begins officially his ministry there in a place where no one would expect, and really again with a message that none of the Jews would have expected at all. And that was in verse 17. The message of Jesus is the same as the message of his herald, John the Baptist, and it is simply this. This is the foundation for all that he would do. The message is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Set aside your sinfulness. Remember or understand the fact that you are sinful in the sight of a holy God and turn from that sin. We talked about that last week and really several months ago. The definition of repentance is this, to hate the evil of sin, to accept as right the condemnation for sin, to agree with the justice of eternal punishment for sin, to grieve over the reality of your personal sinfulness, and to make a willful decision to turn away from that sin. That's repentance. It's the gift of God. It's a change of heart and mind. It's a call to conversion. It comes from hearing the message of the gospel as proclaimed in the pages of Scripture, and it brings a radical change. And we ended last week with the fact that repentance is a necessary part of belief. You cannot receive the kingdom as we'll see this morning. You cannot enter into the kingdom unless you understand that you are outside of the kingdom. Because if you think you're already in it, then you will simply seek to add all the benefits of the kingdom and the king himself to the rest of your benefits, to the rest of your life. Repentance is a necessary part of taking hold of Christ, laying aside our sin, turning from it that we might do deeds in keeping with repentance then we said that every person is in need of repentance. There is no one who can stand righteous before a holy God. There is no one who can say, I've accomplished this on my own. There's no one who can say, I was born into Christianity. I was born into a Christian nation. I was born into a Christian family. That doesn't mean you were born again. Every person is in need of repentance, a renovation of heart. But why is this repentance necessary? Let's look at that this morning. One phrase, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And really the four reveals that to us. So dropping your eyes down to the text, the middle of verse 17, repent for. Why are we repenting? Because the kingdom is coming. The reason that repentance is needed is that the kingdom is at hand and that humble repentance is the only way to enter the kingdom. No one enters proudly into the kingdom. No one comes into the kingdom saying, well, I'll bring myself and my sin with me. No one comes in saying, I'll bring in my own accomplishments. Remember, we talked about that being really bribery to the righteous judge. Well, I know I've committed these sins, but I've also done these good things. So will you just take this? We'll slip you a little money out of the table in the form of good works, and the righteous judge will say, oh, that's, that's acceptable. He cannot. He will not. He will not take the bribery of your righteous acts, and he certainly will reject the evil of your sinful deeds. All of those things condemn us before a holy God. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the reason that we must repent. Now, we'll talk more about exactly what the kingdom of heaven is as we work our way through. But first, let's talk about the timing of this kingdom. Because Jesus says, just as John the Baptist said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does he mean? This is important for us. Is the kingdom already here? Has it already been accomplished? Is there more to be done in the kingdom? Are we in the kingdom? Are we out of the kingdom? How do we relate to this kingdom? Jesus came 2,000 years ago. 
How do we relate now to this message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is it still true for us? Can we still enter in? Have we left it? Have been left out? Well, let's talk about it. The word used here, the kingdom is at hand, really means to approach, to draw near. But the idea is that it is moving or to be moving towards something, not entirely having accomplished it, perhaps having entered into it, but not having completed it. That's the idea. It's, a, it's an interesting word. And in Matthew 26, 45, to kind of give the idea of the, t- of, of the timing aspect of this, Jesus came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. He was speaking to them about an event that had started, essentially, the Roman guards were on their way. And yet it had a whole series of events that would play out before it was completed. So he's saying the hour is at hand. This particular event is coming. It's begun and it will now play itself out inexorably. Nothing will stop it. It has begun and it will move to its completion. That's the idea of this word. Matthew 26, 46. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand as Judas enters into the garden. He's here. And yet there's still things that he will do, things that he will accomplish. First Peter 4, 7 speaks of how essentially this relates to those who came after Christ died and was buried and ascended. It says the end of all things is near. The same word is used there, is near. Therefore, we have sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The end of all things really is upon us. We are in the last days, but it hasn't been finally completed. The end hasn't yet come. There is more. Luke 10, and in Luke, he, Luke uses the phrase, instead of at hand, he uses the phrase near. He says the same thing. He says, heal those in it who are sick and say to them, that is any town to which you come in doing ministry, he says this to disciples, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you in the form of the apostles and disciples who represented the power and presence of the king when they entered into the city and would preach and then would display the power of the king and healing. It would say the kingdom's come near. And the idea is respond to the kingdom. It is here in some form, it is pursuing its course, and it will ultimately be completed. And that's first. The idea of this timing is that the king has come, or the king is here. John the Baptist stated it. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is here. Now the king comes and says, I'm here. John said he was coming. Now the king comes and says, I have arrived. The king himself, the king of kings and lord of lords, has arrived upon the scene. From heaven to earth, he came to present to us his kingdom and to present to us his kingship. So at at its most basic, that's what it means. The king is here. But, But also, secondly, there on your outline, the kingdom or the king is preparing his kingdom. Jesus, in coming to earth, is laying claim to the kingdom. That it's really, it's always been his. Simply, he had never come in physical presence And so he comes to lay claim to that kingdom. It is mine. And he comes to walk upon the earth and lay the groundwork for all that he will accomplish as its king, to make his presence known. So the king is here, and the king has come to prepare his kingdom. He is laying the foundation, the groundwork necessary for everything that will happen in the realm of the kingdom to take place. But also, the idea of this word is that the kingdom is not complete. So the king is here. He's here in power and presence, as we will see, really power, presence, and preaching. That's how the king is here. He's preparing his kingdom in those ways, ultimately in his first coming to go to the cross, to pay for sin so that people could actually enter into the kingdom. But the kingdom is not complete. 
Luke 19, 11, very interesting, because as Jesus continued his ministry, the, the momentum began to grow, and the Jews expected that the kingdom would be completed while Jesus was on earth the first time. This was the, always their expectation. And as he was preaching and healing and gaining popularity, there began this great push for the kingdom to begin, for the kingdom really to, to be ended, to begin its final form. And Jesus said in Luke 19, 11, he says, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And the people were thinking, okay, here it is. He's getting close to Jerusalem. He will enter into Jerusalem as the king. He will kick out the Roman empire. He will establish his earthly kingdom. The Jews will be his people and the kingdom will be completed. He said, because he was near Jerusalem, they supposed the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And Jesus went on to tell the parable of the three stewards and the 10 minus. He said he gave each one of them 10 in this particular telling of it, which would have been another time. He probably told the parable in many different forms. But he said he gave each of them 10, and then he went away, and then he came back. Well, that's the idea. They thought the kingdom was going to come right away or be completed right away. And Jesus is telling them there will be a period of time. The kingdom is not complete. There is more that needs to be done. And most particularly, the kingdom isn't complete because all who need to enter into the kingdom have not believed. That's really the idea. Jesus hadn't finished his ministry to prepare the kingdom by his atoning death and his resurrection to life. But also, there are many who yet need to believe, or there were many who yet needed to believe. So the kingdom is not complete. The king is here. He's preparing his kingdom, but the kingdom is not finalized. D.A. Carson says the ambiguous is near, coupled with the dynamic sense of the kingdom, prepares us for a constant theme. The kingdom came with Jesus and his preaching and miracles. It came with his death and resurrection, and it will come at the end of the age. Those are the aspects of the kingdom. Now, what's the nature of this kingdom? Of course, this is important for us to understand. How, how is, do we relate to the kingdom? What kind of kingdom is this? And this is multifaceted, but let's work our way through it a bit so we will understand when Jesus calls us to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, why is he saying that? Why is it necessary to repent? What does it mean to repent? How do you then enter into the kingdom? Is repentance the only thing necessary? Let's really, in many ways, look at the flip side of setting aside our sin. Okay, that's, that's what's required to enter in, but how do we actually get in? So we've laid aside our sin, as it were. We've, we've turned from sin if we've repented. We've recognized our depravity, that we're tainted in everything we do and think apart from Christ. So we've laid that aside, but how do we get in? How, how do we enter in to be with the king, to be part of his kingdom? And that's the first point. The nature of the kingdom is that it must be entered. No one comes into the world in the kingdom. Oh, you were born into America, so you are an American citizen, right? So you are naturally, you are a natural-born citizen, most of you, and that's how you got in the kingdom. Unfortunately, there are too many people who think that's the way you get into God's kingdom. You're just born there. And some of you young people still think that's true. Well, you know, my, my family, my, my parents are believers, and I've always known about Christ. We hear that when we ask for testimonies at camp. When we do that the final night. And by the way, parents, I would encourage you to ask your teens, when you were asked to give your testimony what did you say? Because what we told the teens that night, we had 81 or 82 teens there, a lot of young people. And we said, look, if you don't have a testimony, if you don't know Christ, there is no need to make something up. We're not going to judge you for that as, as like, you know, wow, you need to move now. They've already been there a week. It's, you're stuck. It, we'll, we'll take you home. But the issue is if you don't know Christ, it's much better for you simply to say, I don't know Christ yet. 
so that then we can talk with you and we can encourage you along those lines and we'll know where you stand and so will you. So ask your teens, parents, what, what do they say? And we listen. And then if they say they don't know Christ, we talk to them. If they say they're not assured of their salvation, we talk to them. If they say they love the Lord, we ask them questions. And we pray that you will follow that up. Really, we're just following up on the work that you've been doing for years and years and years. So I encourage you to do that. Make sure that your teens, your young people, don't believe they are in the kingdom. Because we heard that in testimonies. I just was kind of born in. I've always known Jesus. You haven't, you've always known about Jesus, many of you. But you haven't always known him. In fact, you may not know him now. That is an intimate and personal relationship with him through commitment to the king, as we will see. Well, America, being born in America doesn't do it. Being born into a Christian family doesn't do it. You have to enter into the kingdom through repentance and, as we will see, belief, faith in the king. And this is not easy. Now, again, there's all kinds of presentations of the gospel out there, and some have more merit than others. But the merit of the ones which say, look... Entering the kingdom is easy. All you got to do is believe. Now, I'm in total agreement with the second part of that statement. All you have to do is believe. That includes repentance, as we've seen. But I am not in agreement with the first part of that statement. Well, it's easy. It's not easy to enter into the kingdom because you enter into the kingdom having been stripped of your pride, having come in recognition of your sin, having had to lay down yourself and your own life. That's not easy. It's not complex. It's not rocket science. It's not some un, you know, un thing that you cannot understand. It's perspicuous, as we learned in the book on the way home. Brian Dudley and I were listening to uh, a book on the Bible by Kevin DeYoung. Excellent book. But it's, it's clear that's what the word perspicuous means. Great word for clarity. It confuses you. But the Bible doesn't. The gospel is clear. You're a sinner. You're condemned before a holy God. You will spend eternity in hell. And you need to trust in Christ. It's clear, but it's not easy. And I understand that when the Lord works in your heart, that then he draws you to himself and it becomes your desire. I understand that as well, but never before overcoming the evil and, and really the, the forcefulness of our sinful will. The kingdom must be entered and it is not easy. Luke 13, 24, Jesus says, strive, strive to enter through the narrow door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able that is, it is something for us to recognize, to realize that we must enter in. This is where we need to go. It says the, the way is narrow, and so we strive. We pursue the kingdom, and we are drawn by the, by the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. And as you feel that tugging, as you feel the Spirit of God doing His work through the truth of His Word, you don't just kick back and say, well, God will do it. You pursue that. And maybe that's, that's true for you this morning. Maybe it was true for you this week at camp. Maybe it's been true sometime in your life where you felt the work of the Spirit of God in your heart as you, as you began to understand the Word. You are not passive in that. Because we don't have altar calls and tell you to come down forward and pray the prayer right here and sign a little card does not mean you are to be passive when it comes to entering the kingdom. You are to pursue it. You are to seek to enter into the kingdom. You, you are to repent and believe. You are to pursue the truth of those things because there is no more important pursuit in all your life. I used to do a lot of jail ministry. Every, every week for six years, I went and, on Monday mornings and had a, had a ministry to those who were in the, the sex offender unit of the jail. A profitable time. And yet, each of them, as I would talk to them about salvation, they would say, well, we've already been saved. And they've been in and out of jail multiple times. And every time that, that other groups would come in, they would say, right then, you've got you, you to gotta, you gotta pray right now. They would get emotional, tell emotional stories, and you, you better pray now. And they would do that, and there was no change. 
then we go out and come back in and out and come back in. And as I presented the truth of the gospel to them over a period of time, working through the book of Genesis all the way through to Revelation, some guys were there for longer than others. It was always my presentation at the end that you need to pursue what you have just heard. But you do not pursue it by standing up right here, by raising your hand. You pursue it by going back to your cell, by getting on your knees, by repenting of your sin, pursuing the Lord Jesus. Entrance into the kingdom is not a matter of just sitting back. The Lord will drag me in. No, we pursue him. Strive, said the Lord Jesus. Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Violent men take it by force. We'll unpack that more when we get there. It's a powerful thought to consider that Jesus is saying that those who are seeking the kingdom enter in. Well, how can you seek? Well, that's the word of God working its work through the power of the spirit in your heart. I understand that's God's work. But unfortunately, sometimes in our reform circles, we're like, well, since God does all the work and you aren't responsible for your own salvation, you can never stand before God and say, look what I did. That means that you aren't supposed to pursue. You aren't supposed to seek after God. Like somehow that's impossible. It isn't impossible. The Bible says it isn't as the spirit of God is drawing your heart. And that's what Jesus said. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Exercise your will. Seek the kingdom. Pursue the king. And we do a great disservice to the gospel when because of other errors, we somehow dumb down that message. Well, just sit back. Something will happen to you. What? Pursue the kingdom. Consider the truth that you have heard. Find out more about who Jesus is, about what repentance means, and pursue that with all your heart that you might enter into the kingdom. The gate is narrow, said Jesus, Matthew seven thirteen. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Again, that's not some kind of passivity verse for Reformed believers to say, well, you know, you hear the gospel, we don't know who's going to get in. It's really narrow, so God's going to choose. He does choose. He has chosen from before the beginning of time, but the idea there is find it. It's hard to find. You need to pursue it, and we're part of presenting that truth to others so they might find the gate. They might enter the kingdom. There's active work to be done on the part of the preacher and on the part of the hearer. Now, always Jesus stated it in this way. There's active work to be done. The kingdom must be entered. No one is born into it. No one enters into it by osmosis. That is getting close. You get sucked through the gate. Right? You must believe. You must repent. Again, we understand this is the work of God in the heart as we read Scripture. We understand that you, that cannot be done apart from God's work, and that He is the one who receives all of the credit for our salvation, changing our hearts. But that doesn't in any way lessen our responsibility to repent entering into the kingdom, because that's what the king said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. 
There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online, and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.